Welcome to Stories with Shrinks, a podcast where we over-psychoanalyze characters from your favorite movies, TV, and media. My name is Tyler, he, his, him. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. And today we're discussing characters from beloved sci-fi fantasy series, Doctor Who. Uh, If you're not familiar with this one, this is a British show. Airs over on the BBC, filmed out of Cardiff in Wales. Mm. I could go on and on and on. (laughs) One of my favorites. I know one of Jen's favorites as yes. well. One of this is, I think, one of the first things we bonded over was yes. this show. I'm excited. We're finally wearing getting a to it. fourth Doctor sweater in class one day, and I was like, "Huh, who's gonna know this reference?" Tyler was it the sweater or the hair bow? Oh, knowing me, it's either or. But I, I'm pretty sure you commented once that it was the fourth Doctor sweater. Yeah, I don't think I that have a Doctor Who right. hair, hair bow. Maybe. Maybe I have to think about. It. If not, I have to fix that. Maybe. <laughs> And apologies, there might be dog barking throughout this video. Um, we both have our dogs in, yes. in the g- general vicinities today. <laughs> yes, and my family's dog is also in the house. Mm-hmm. So yeah, lots of exciting movement and sounds, I'm sure. <laughs> but before we get into clients and things, let's do a get to know you question, as we so often do. And I actually prepared this one ahead of time. What? Um, We're getting five better minutes, at this. Five minutes is still ahead of time. Right. So the get to know you question I have for you with Doctor Who, and it's probably the one you're expecting, is who is your favorite doctor? Who's your favorite <sighs> actor who played the doctor? So for those who don't know, the show's been running for over 50 years uh, at this point, and different actors and actresses have taken over the role of the doctor as the character is an alien. When he gets close to dying, he, instead of dying, he regenerates, and sometimes he regenerates into a woman. Uh, that happens now too, which is really cool because gender is a concept that is only, you know, in culture, not necessarily a real thing. At the end of the day, the Doctor is an alien. So also, yes, gender may but, not even be a concept in general on his planet or her. Also, planet. also <laughs> yes, uh, and also, also gender doesn't exist anyway. Um, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so who is your favorite? person who has played the doctor or favorite incarnation of the doctor so it's such a loaded question <laughs> and i feel like that's the real nerd answer it says it depends um i i definitely started with m- when matt smith was the doctor was when okay. i started watching but i did start back with christopher eccleston and went through um but i think when it comes to the new revival of the show david tennant is my favorite he's so good I'm just thinking of all the different episodes, <laughs> but wistfully, wistfully right? looking at David Tennant in your mind's eye. Mind's eye, um, and I think he just also brought a wide range of feelings and emotions to the Doctor. I do like angry Doctor mode and kind of like the "I'm pissed at the world. Why is this mm-hmm. happening?" Doctor mode. And I liked his story arcs, and then I really like the third Doctor as well. If we we go back to the original broadcasting of it i really like the third doctor i think he's i just think he's cool he has angry grandpa vibes <laughs> you love to see a man in a velvet suit exactly what saying <laughs> well for you uh yeah if we're gonna do new who or the revival um which started in 2005 i want to I say. say yeah 2005 someone can fact check that and get in the comments and <laughs> yeah it's fine leave a review when, right. when did doctor who revive i think well, David Tennant is the one that I started watching. And so, like, just by that respect, he's probably my favorite, too. But I want to also dig into everyone in the new in the new revival who have really just done such a good job of playing different aspects of the Doctor. I think what's really funny 
is that, and this is going to be me getting real nerdy real quick, so it's fine. Uh, so you had David Tennant and then Matt Smith, who are both these kind of younger, attractive yes. dudes. Uh, and then Matt Smith's doctor, who is who acts a lot older than the body looks, and that's kind mm -hmm. of the whole gist of that character, is that there's a discrepancy there. He regenerates into Peter Capaldi. Who's who the is, best angry doctor ever, and I love who, him for that. Who's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And really is you know shows the aspects of like this character is over a thousand years old now mm -hmm. and is like he's this grumpy old man but he still has like I, I think the thing i really loved about peter capaldi's characterization is he still has this like like childlike wonder about him mm -hmm. but he's also like the only doctor who like one of his stories is literally he he's stuck in a time loop and he just punches a wall until he gets through the wall. Yes. And I think that is probably like the the quintessential kind of thing of his doctor. He's just so tenacious and like grumpy and angry. And like, I think just because you took David Tennant, so I'm going to talk about Peter Capaldi. No, um, <laughs> Matt Smith, also totally amazing. Uh, totally made that show grow and got the audience to go kind of international yes. more so than anything else. Um, but I mean, I introduced to like, I knew about Dr. Who, but I went to the Comic-Con panel and that's why I was like, maybe I'll watch this show now. And it was the Matt Smith yeah. panel. So yeah. And when people start the show, I tell them to start with Matt Smith. So that's kind of how good he was in attracting an, a bigger audience. But I love, I just love Peter Capaldi and like the way that he was introduced, he's introduced yes. in like a special and you just see his eyes and his eyebrows. And it's this beautiful moment that still gives me chills where it's, uh, it's sir, all the doctors are here, all 12 of them, no sir, all 13. And then all it's 13. his eyes uh, because they hadn't decided on what his costume was gonna be yet. They didn't know mm -hmm. what, his, what his spaceship was gonna look like yet. So it was just his eyes and it was so, cool and anyway so Peter I think Capaldi. well and again like each doctor has brings something so special to the table that i'm like that's why it kind of depends because i've i found something favorite in all the doctors that i've really like dove into and i think if you're truly just enjoying the show for the show which is what you should be doing it's like yeah this moment with christopher eccleson my favorite this <laughs> moment with david Tennant, my favorite so totally and that's the thing this is like cheesy science fiction fantasy yes. like it is not meant to be deeply analyzed we're going to do it anyway but it's not <laughs> meant to be deeply analyzed it's not meant to be taken apart and ripped apart and shredded um you know it's meant to be fun yes it's exactly meant to be fun. Doctor Who was originally a kids television show that was supposed to be like historical educational as well. Mm -hmm. But really, it's a kid show. It's it's made for a younger audience. It is so fun and so fantastic yes. and can also be really terrifying at times. Highly recommend. Basically, what I'm saying is you is should watch, watch it if you don't. Watch it. There's um, something for everyone. <laughs> yes, for sure. And so, yeah, so Doctor Who is what we're talking about today. And I do believe without much further ado, Jen, you have a client. I do have a client, but in fashion of the Doctor, we actually have to go back in time a little bit. So it is the year 1996 and we are in America. So this is where our, our setting takes place. Um, and I do believe technically New York, but that doesn't really like apply to the matter, but just for setting purposes. My client is named Rory Williams. He is a male British human, originally from Leedsworth, England, and he's in his mid-20s, currently working as a museum security guard. Um, he's coming into therapy to process his experiences while traveling with the doctor so far and struggling with his relationship dynamics. And caveat, 
in my world, because I want to be awesome, I know about the doctor. So that's, I'm particularly servicing individuals like advertising hey if you happen to have these weird occurrences with this guy in a weird box come in for therapy <laughs> <laughs> blue box therapy that is actually i know the person who owns that copyright oh no so, oh yeah. really there's a copyright right for I, that? I don't know if it's copyright but um one of the people i interviewed justine Mas- masterson I, i'm gonna butcher her last name and i feel bad um it's okay they, i'll cut it out it's fine yeah they um their counseling services are called blue box counseling oh that's cool i think out mid midwest but yeah you can cut that out <laughs> my my nerd like oh no that's a thing um, so um he's coming into therapy to process his experiences traveling with the doctor so far and struggling within his relationship dynamics um he is presenting very kept very neat his speech is very unremarkable and that's just one of our ways of saying like pretty much normal speech patterns he maintains normal eye contact and motor activity though he is kind of stiff and robotic which he actually just explains the way of technically being a robot at this time he's an anton which is a half humanoid half robot kind of being though he has living plastic he's living plastic he has much more human consciousness and emotions behind it now though rather than just the stiff anton like plastic and he reports feeling both anxious and depressed at times, and his ad, um, affect is congruent with his reported mood states throughout our time together. So when working with a companion to the doctor, I kind of conceptualize this within an activity that I do a lot with clients is constructing their timeline, their timeline of events and how their history and timeline have affected them. And I think it's particularly important when we work with someone who's traveled with the doctor because their timeline is now a little messed up so taking into account all the timelines um that he has kind of lived through as a baseline he is currently engaged to his longtime friend and girlfriend amy pond who is currently being restored back to life inside a pandorica which is a giant like metal box entity that kind of can save and destroy the world um, for the past 2000 ish years in his original timeline he reported working as a nurse and living um, in a small town with amy until the raggedy man amy's longtime not so imaginary friend the doctor returned and he's been traveling with him since and this is before their wedding so while working with rory the first step that i kind of took was allowing him a space to tell his story and map out his timeline to help provide a space to validate his experiences using a very Rogerian person-centered approach like one yes these things did happen they're real you're not insane (laughs) the raggedy man is a real person or real entity his primary focus is to help process his relationship with Amy um so we're working on his timeline and we're focusing on his relationship history prior to traveling with the doctor his relationship together with amy once the doctor returned while amy has been in the pandorica and while working towards a new esteem narrative to establish in the future once amy is out of the pandorica Rory reported that prior to the doctor him and amy have always just been friends um for the longest time and he remembers playing the raggedy doctor that he thought was just a pretend made of game from amy's imagination um they had a mutual friend named mel's 
spoilers it was in fact their doctor uh, their daughter from the future um, and um Rory's always warriors always felt very shy growing up and reported of being the school freak or geek and amy being the one friend that always stood up for him and stating that he has loved her his whole life but amy didn't realize this and didn't figure out her feelings towards him until Mel's pointed it out when they were older, roughly around high school age. Rory stated that when Mel pointed out his feelings, um, he was very embarrassed and that um, Amy had stated that he always assumed that he was gay as he never showed interest in other girls. And he was like, well, duh, because it's always just been you. Um, so um, from there, they started dating, graduated high school, went on to become a nurse Um and kind of as we process these events during this part of his timeline, we focus on those esteem needs. What was it like to be sitting with those feelings for all those years, um, not having her notice them, really seeing you, hearing you, and also assuming that like you weren't even like attracted to her, let alone other girls, just kind of making this blanket assumption that since other girls weren't around, you must have been gay. And the themes of being seen and heard in this friendship and relationship dynamic uh, what was it like to have a friend kind of point out that you guys kind of belong together? What are you doing? And again, spoilers, just wanted mom and dad to get together so she could exist. <laughs> um, and kind of, again, focusing on those big themes of being seen and heard and those self-esteem needs um, and really working towards just building a, a baseline of, you know, you, you're, you were worth that attention at that time. So cut to then in 2008, when the doctor returns, Rory reported feeling very shocked to discover that he was real and began to worry about Amy's feelings towards the doctor. He recalls getting engaged to Amy during this time frame and learning that the doctor and Amy had traveled together prior to their wedding, which makes him concerned that Amy didn't actually want to marry Rory this whole time. Um, finding out that his fiance just left the night before the wedding and was on a said period of time traveling um made him feel very anxious very um very much like was was she ever even really into me was this all just because i was just the person that was there um and it took them traveling together to venice back in 1580 um and so they traveled together one time before the wedding and while observing the relationship the doctor and amy um had he became even more insecure with his role in amy's life and it wasn't until amy specifically asked them to ask him to travel with them that he even felt wanted in the tardis wanted in this relationship dynamic another event he reported um when he felt extremely insecure and struggling with the feelings um wanted by amy was when they were stuck in a dream paradox in the TARDIS and it wasn't until Amy really demonstrated that she literally couldn't live without him that he kind of knew that like I was significant in Amy's life Amy does love me um so during this part of his timeline construction we really wanted to focus on again those esteem needs those themes of being seen and heard but also love languages discussing how his love language is different than Amy's like he might be very much more like um, words of affection and acts and she may not be registering that as her love language so she doesn't present that to him and like what is not only like how he demonstrates his love but what kind of love he needs to be received 
And if those aren't the same as her love languages and how she shows love, how to communicate that with Rory once the Pandora opens, like, hey, I just need you to, to like recognize that this is how I receive love. And sometimes I feel really insecure if I don't get that. Um, and it's okay to talk about those things. So again, once she's returned, how can we communicate those differences so that they can better see each other and underlining that that's all also just esteem needs work. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling worth communicating your love language to somebody else, feeling worth being loved. And what does that look like? So this leaves us in his Bandorica timeline where we spend processing the events of learning that he had in fact died at one point and erased from Amy's memory completely, becoming a centurion Roman soldier, saving the world, and is now guarding Amy so that she can return. We're processing what waiting means to him. So much of his love story with Amy is kind of waiting for her, waiting for her to realize his feelings, waiting for her to come back from the doctor, waiting for her to actually show love towards him. So what does it mean to be waiting for her again? And the grief of not having her or the resources of the doctor and his life prior to all this. Um, In so many ways, he's kind of has those memories of being human, kind of doesn't, and has also lived 2,000 years in his own timeline. Um, So what is it like to kind of be on your own, not having those resources, at least from the doctor, to be able to help out during major world wars, during traveling to America, um, and navigating the world on your own? And then um, also kind of processing what life could possibly look like if and when the Pandorica opens. Rory's kind of having this broken promise from the doctor that, hey, I'll come back. It's going to take roughly 2,000 years, though, and let's hope this works. And does he trust the doctor yet? Does he trust the doctor's word yet to bring her back? Um, And what is life going to look like after that? The fears that he's a changed man and Amy not necessarily wanting him anymore. What will Amy's memories be like? How can we alleviate those fears based on here and now knowledge, not necessarily predicting the future? Um, And Rory did report not feeling any regret or resentment towards Amy. So our focus on here is like his worth and esteem needs so that he can feel confident in his role in Amy's life and communicating what he wants out of Amy in return. Um, And then we're kind of just waiting for the Pandora to open and see what happens, kind of see what big bang event might occur once that Pandora opens. Uh, So I feel like with Rory, the main thing for him is those esteem needs, those ability to communicate his feelings and be able to find his own self-worth so that he can communicate that worth effectively. And that's Rory. Awesome. So why Rory? I was gonna say, like, I don't, I don't know what question you're about to ask. What could it possibly be that you want it's to? It's always the same question, <laughs> which is why it's always so shocking. Um, why Rory? I always loved Rory as a companion, and I feel like I can relate to him a lot in the sense of his esteem and like issues with self worth and his role as like the sidekick in the story arc and that insecurity he's felt traveling with the doctor um kind of the the always the friend story arc hits really close to home (laughs) um so i understand that way too well and i i love to see 
you know, this ends with the Pandorica, but to see his story arc grow from there, you can see how much he grows in his confidence and how much he, um, and yet is still nerdy, still very geeky, still very fumbles on his own words, and yet really has this strong self-confidence through traveling with the doctor. Um, so I just always really liked Rory. I feel like Rory's way too good for Amy. <laughs> like, Amy does not deserve a Rory whatsoever. Rory freaking waits 2,000 years, never brings it up. Amy has an experience where he, she waits like 30 years and is throwing it directly in his face right afterwards. <laughs> and I'm like, B, no. Like, you don't, you don't realize what Rory's done for you. Um, yeah, it's fair. And uh, I don't, I just feel like he deserves a lot more credit than he gets. Even just for putting up with the doctor's antics. <laughs> so. Well, there's a moment where he walks in on them if i remember correctly and it it looks pretty mm-hmm. bad there's multiple moments like that yeah like amy they, they play with that a lot good boundaries yeah. with the doctor so you can tell amy's definitely like kind of suffering from small town syndrome as i like to call it of like is this my whole life i want something more than this but then also realizes that like this is my life and i do want this at the end of the day so mm-hmm. awesome Thank you. Absolutely. And so we're going to take a break and we'll be back with one more character from the Doctor Who universe. See you then. Welcome back to Stories of Shrinks. We are in the Doctor Who universe, a beloved universe by both of us. And... Tyler, do you believe you have a new client? I do have a new client this week. This client is named Martha. She is British in her 30s. We don't have an exact age, and it's impolite to ask a lady. (laughs) No, really, it's that. We just don't have an exact age for her uh, in canon. She is cisgender female, heterosexual, and works as a doctor currently. She is coming into treatment after the ending of an unhealthy friendship, her words, uh, in which she had unrequited romantic feelings for another doctor, I'm assuming someone she works with. So she's coming in to kind of process this and talk about this. So her goals for treatment are processing the ending of this friendship and to also process a transition point in her life. Um, She hasn't gone into much detail about this yet, but she said that recently she did a lot of traveling and faced a lot of hardships and was kind of it it sounds like she might have been like on the run or something and she hasn't given me a lot of detail but that she had this kind of traveling experience that really helped her to reevaluate her values uh that she before was thinking really of herself and i need to get through medical school and i need to be a doctor and this is how i'm going to help people and all this really amazing stuff and now she's thinking more along the lines of I need to be near my family. I have people that I need to take care of and people that I need want to look after instead of just running off on my own and just taking care of myself. Um, so we're kind of doing this double processing of these two things that are going on in her life right now. So the first is the ending of this friendship. We did get to dig into this a little bit more so than the transition point in her life. I think we'll get more information on that as we go along in treatment, but 
the processing and the ending of this friendship is the thing she wanted to come with first. She said that she's been traveling with this person for probably a couple years now at this point, maybe a year. She says it's complicated. She, she says a lot of really weird stuff like that, but it's, it, you know, it is what it is. Some people are just interesting. But she talks about how she was traveling with this other doctor and they, uh, she hasn't given me a name yet either, which is also kind of strange. She just calls this, you know, this doctor, the doctor and the, da, da, da. but you know, it's her processing. So we'll let her live her life. But she has come to talk about the ending of this friendship. So as we've discussed it a little bit, she stated that she has unrequited feelings of romance for this doctor that she had been traveling with, that uh, she developed romantic feelings that he did not return them in any way. And for a long time, she was going about this sort of masochistic friend relationship where she kept feeling like she was getting hurt because she kept feeling rejected over and over and over again by this other person. And so we started talking about that for her and what was going on there for her and going through the story and kind of like you and Rory, that timeline, um, but going through the, really the story of what was this friendship? What was it for you? How did it serve you? What were the things you learned from it? Did you learn anything about you? Did you learn anything about what you might want in a partner or in a friend? Um, and really just slowly kind of chipping away at what is this thing? You know, because I'm a firm believer that even experiences that really hurt us do teach us things. They do. Mm -hmm. they, there is no such thing as failure. It's just something to learn from. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can, the failure, the fact that we go sit there and go, oh, this is a failure is because we're judging ourselves. That's really all it is it's that, you know, oh, I didn't succeed in this one thing. Um, so really coming into her with that energy too of like, okay, so you, this friendship had to end. And what did it teach you? What did you learn? Uh, and for her, I think really the main thing is boundary setting, mm -hmm. is learning how to, you know, have feelings for someone and go, okay, this person's never going to have those feelings for me back. I'm just going to put that over here and be professional and do my job um, traveling as a doctor, I guess, moving forward to the point where you go, oh, wait, this isn't healthy for me. This is not what I want. And that's kind of how she described that friendship ending. She was saying that it's not that they've gone no contact. It's not that she never wants to see him again. It's just that for her own health, she needs to step away and needs to recalibrate so that she can go find what she's looking for, which is a romantic relationship. And knowing that as long as this other doctor is around, she's not going to be looking for that anywhere else. So really, you know, for her, this is all about boundary setting. This is about setting boundaries with herself more than anybody else, which is also interesting. I think so many of us fall into these traps of self-sabotage and masochistic relationships because we feel that we need to be around some of these people that are magnetic and enigmatic. Um, these people who make us feel alive in a way. Um, and we feel that we need to be next to them. Like we, we need to be. And I feel like a lot of us have had this experience where there's just people in our lives that are, like you just watch them and you're like, yeah, that person's amazing. Whether you're attracted to them or not, it's just like, whoa, they are a magnet. Mm -hmm. 
And if you are caught in a magnet and you can't find a way out for yourself, the easiest thing to do is to flip around, reverse the polarity and get out of there. And she does that. She sets a boundary and says, you know what? I can't be in this friendship anymore. It's not healthy for me and it's not serving what I want. And so she decides to leave, which leads us into this other transition point. So she was saying that she had been traveling with this other doctor, helping lots of different people in lots of different places, like had been traveling around the world for, by herself for a little while as well. And through that travel had decided that I would rather be near the people that I care about. I'd rather be near my family and take care of them and take care of others and all that, you know, stuff that is now important to her. And that goes into what I would call a transition point or what, you know, we all kind of, what I see a lot of people coming into therapy for, which is just, you're at a point of change. Mm -hmm. your, your life is changing. This is new now. Your values are different. Uh, and so when we talk about narrative therapy and values, there's different words for it, different ways of talking about it. For some people, it's what are the rules you live your life by. For others, it's what are the things that are important to you? What is more important, this or this? Uh, and in fact, there is a uh, an intervention called value cards that I absolutely love. I have like five, I think, decks of these cards that I made and printed. You can find them online. Um, and you put them in front of a person, the person selects their top 10, and then they order their top 10. And it's got different values on them. There's like family, religion, financial security, um, lots of different ones. Those are the three that come to the top of my head. Um, but, you know, there are friends, um, work, like there's just lots of different ones, creation, lots of really cool stuff. Uh, and you put them in order of what's most important to you. And it's how you can kind of get a better idea of who you are. And so I think that I would do that with uh, Martha here, even though it's it's something that's more made for teen, teens and young adults. I think I would bring out that deck and say, hey, look, your priorities got rearranged. Let's look at what were your top five before and what are your top five now? Um, and if any of those are the same, if they're in a different order, what's going on there? And really being honest with yourself and seeing for you, what is this next chapter going to look like? Because that's really what these, this work in transition points is, is it's about closing out the last chapter, processing what we learned, processing where we're coming, who we were at that point, looking at the present and going, okay, I need to find a ground. I need to find something under my feet that feels normal and natural and secure. And then looking into the future of what do you want this next chapter to be? And so with Martha, that at this point in her life, this is how I would do work with her. We would start with that past stuff and kind of putting a bow on it. What did you learn? Um, what did you learn from this friendship? What did you learn from all your travel? How do you want to take those lessons into the present so that you can create the future of what your next chapter is going to be? And that would be how I would work with Martha. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So... Why Martha? Why Martha? Uh, one is she's just one of my favorite companions. Her the the scene where she leaves the doctor is so powerful because the doctor is one of these figures who is very magnetic, mm -hmm. um, who is like just super charismatic and very smart and very capable. 
and it makes you feel like this person is gonna say can like completely change the universe and he he and she does on a on a regular basis so they are very like just attractive of people and it doesn't necessarily mean romantic attraction but it's just they are somebody that get that causes a lot of pull energy wise which is a weird way to put it but that's kind of the only way i can describe (laughs) it and martha notices that she's kind of trapped in this loop of like i keep trying to like get you to be romantic with me and you keep acting like i'm a brick wall and i'm not there Mm -hmm. after a while it's not healthy anymore and so i love that as a character as a therapist seeing a character who knows how to set boundaries instead of continuously hurting themselves over and over is wonderful and totally Mm -hmm. new to see but i watched this before i was even training to be a therapist uh i saw this when i was still in like high school and still thought that was such a powerful moment for that character because that's not the story we see we don't see people giving up on their romantic feelings because somebody's unrequited, especially in American media. We actually see a lot of people like the opposite. I'm going to keep, <laughs> I'm going to keep bugging them until they love me yes. essentially. And that's not how it works. And mm-hmm. if it's easier to take yourself out of the equation and say, you know what, I'm going to care about myself and love myself enough to remove myself from this situation Mm -hmm. that is something that is necessary so as a as a clinician i absolutely love her character as a human i think we've all been there Uh, Mm -hmm. i think we've all we've all been in that point where it's like i like this person and they don't like me back so i and if you haven't been there congratulations good for you (laughs) but it's a pretty you know common experience to have that and to see someone deal with that in a very healthy way is amazing, mm-hmm. I think. And or even like the because with there's with Martha and the doctor, it's different stages of like as well. Mm-hmm. And realizing that they're not on the same stage. Like we could technically stay as friends, but that's just gonna hurt me because they don't like me the same way I like them. Yeah. So she doesn't say like. I never want to talk to you again. I never want to speak to you again. In fact, she hands him her phone, which is this mm-hmm. like super like souped up phone that can call across time and space. It's cool. Uh, you know, science fiction. Mm-hmm. So she gives him her phone and she says, I'll call you when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not that she's really saying like our friendship is over. We're done. It's just that she is putting distance in that friendship. And I think that's also another thing that draws me to this character in that friendship. Yes. She's putting herself first and it's Mm -hmm. not selfish. It's not even self-care. It's just self first. Mm -hmm. She's just, you know, going, this is not what I want. And this is not how, who I want to be. So I'm not going to be that. Yeah. And I think, you know, as far as me choosing that character, I, there have been instances in my life where I've looked at friendships and said, okay, needs a little more distance. This isn't Mm -hmm. comfortable. And that's okay. It's okay to have that it's totally fine. You don't have to be super close to every friend that you're friends with. It's okay to just kind of go, I'm going to take a step back. Mm-hmm. I think another good point you made, cause I know a lot of clinicians sometimes struggle with, but they're an adult. I can't do these teenage interventions with them. And to me being like a teenager, just your life is one of the big transition points of your life. You're, you're really transitioning from being the values of your family to being the values of yourself. Um, and no matter what age, whenever we're hitting those transitions, the theme of teenagerhood, which would be insecurities, comes back up because with every transition comes that insecurity trigger. 
So why wouldn't we do the interventions that work with transitions and insecurities, no matter what age we are? <laughs> well, this is the thing. I, I personally, as a clinician, don't think that there is like an age right? range for interventions. I think you do what's going to work best. Um, mm-hmm. the, the metaphor that I always use is it's like, I have, I, when I'm with a client, they are sitting in front of me on my tool bench and there is a whole wall of screwdrivers and a whole wall of wrenches and a yep. whole wall of hammers. And I go, Hmm, this wrench and this screwdriver, I think those will work well. And I use that, mm-hmm. you know, it's about pulling what you think is going to work for that person, not necessarily going, Oh, well, they're not a teenager. So I'm not going to do this or, you know, they're not a kid. So we're not going to do any form of play therapy right. or, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, adults need um, play too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think especially like, with identity stuff too. It's mm-hmm. like, we, uh, we are all three kids in a trench coat pretending to be adults anyway. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no such thing as like being an, a totally emotionally mature adult, mm-hmm. even people who are in their seventies, in their eighties, in their nineties, in their hundreds, even like we have this inner youth, we all right. have it. And, and that speaks to the doctor you know, that inner youth and excitability of the doctor, which I think makes him so magnetic. I know I was talking to a clinician friend about what does it mean to be mature? And we kind of came to the conclusion that it was just feeling confident with who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And if that's running around and having fun in the next moment, you know, sitting at the desk and doing work, it's just being confident with those transitions and who you are as yourself. Yeah. And being comfortable with all parts of yourself too, Mm -hmm. because that's the other thing is like, there's a whole subset of therapy that we're not really getting into today called uh, inner child work, but it's basically Mm -hmm. the same idea. We've all got an inner kid. We've all got an inner teenager. We've all got an inner young adult. As you go through these life stages, you're that version of you doesn't disappear. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go away. All of a sudden it doesn't exist anymore. You are every experience you've had built on top of each other. And so, you know, it's a lot to say that it's very timey-wimey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, I think that's another good thing that Dr. Who does and we'll, we'll, we need to wrap up because yes. we, because <laughs> we need to. Um, but I think another good thing that the doctor, Dr. Who does is that the doctor, when he regenerates, it's always this like, like looking back. And when the 11th doctor regenerated into the 12th doctor, he has this whole conversation about how, like, I've been many different people throughout my life. Uh, and I will always remember when the doctor was me. Yeah. And yeah. So good. <laughs> that doesn't hurt. That still doesn't hurt me as much as I don't want to go. Um, right. But, uh, but you know, that just that line of like, mm-hmm. we are different people throughout our lives. And I will always remember when the doctor was me. It's, it's very human for mm-hmm. an alien creature who regenerates into different bodies throughout his lifespan. We are the same. We don't regenerate in a big burst of orange energy, but our cells replicate that every seven years, our body is a completely different body than what it was before. Yeah. Completely different set of cells every seven years. We regenerate Mm -hmm. in a weird way. (laughs) Absolutely. And And again, that's, that just speaks to that we said at the beginning, there's a doctor for everyone and there's a moment in doctor who for everyone. And it, and it really speaks to that. Yes. So I think that's where we're just going to wrap things up for this time. Yes. But uh, thank you for, I mean, we could go on and on. I'm sure. <laughs> we'll talk about Dr. Who again. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be back in this universe at some point for sure. Because um, we haven't even touched the doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you all. Bye.
Stories with Shrinks is an entertainment and education podcast. Our views are our own and should not be considered canon or associated with any of the media or universes we discuss. And thank you to Purple Planet Music for our theme song, Phoenix Rising. You can find music for all your podcasting or YouTube needs at www.purple-planet.com. Mm-hmm.